Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk, where our guest is Dr. Grace Lowe. She is a clinical researcher with a focus on osteoarthritis since 2001, so she's deep in the research in this space. She's an assistant professor at the Baylor College of Medicine and chief of rheumatology at the Michael E. DeBakey, I may be pronouncing that wrong, VA Medical Center, and she hails from Houston, Texas. So Dr. Lowe, Grace, and I are going to talk a little bit about arthritis and walking and all the things, and maybe even the weather in Houston. So Grace, thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, thank you for having me. So I'm curious how you developed this interest in studying arthritis. Well, so I'm a rheumatologist, and um, the disease that we take care of most is arthritis. And so um, when I was a fellow in training, um, I actually didn't plan on doing research. I planned on just doing clinical medicine, but uh, when I was doing my training, I actually really enjoyed doing research. And so the um, people who I was working with, they were very uh, entrenched in studying osteoarthritis. And part of the reason for that is because osteoarthritis is actually the most common kind of arthritis that's out there. And we actually have the least available to manage and treat it. Um, And so it's really a big public health problem. And um, uh, although, as you nicely pointed out, how long I've been doing research. <laughs> 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 I haven't found a cure for it or anything, um, but we have made a lot of progress. And so, and, um, you know, we'll be talking about this today, but I just feel like the, the uh, paper that we recently published has been really um, a nice uh, step forward in better understanding how we can manage um, osteoarthritis. And so, um, that, that's kind of how I got into it, and I, I just uh, really enjoyed doing the research and asking questions and uh, learning how to do research, and so it became the direction that I went into for my career. So starting at the basics, what exactly is arthritis? Okay, well, so that's a very good question. Um, so it's, uh, if you break down the word, arth means joint and itis means inflammation. So it's an inflammation of the joints. And so this is a very broad term for any kind of uh, inflammatory or really joint problem that you have in your body. Um, There are lots of different kinds of arthritis and um, uh, osteoarthritis is the most common type and that's the kind that I um, tend to study and that that I was mentioning before. So um, in people, age 60 and over, around 30% of people will have osteoarthritis. 
Um, whereas rheumatoid arthritis, um, which I think people are more familiar with hearing, people hear the term rheumatism, and so they think rheumatism and rheumatoid arthritis are the same thing. And so I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what these terms mean. But anyway, rheumatoid arthritis actually only affects 1% of the general population. So it's actually far less common than osteoarthritis. But um, rheumatoid arthritis can cause a very fast um, the decline in people's uh, clinical status. And um, so they need attention very quickly. It can be very debilitating very fast. And so those are the people who tend to get to medical care very quickly. And, and fortunately, we actually have lots of good medicines that are very beneficial in that condition. And so we're actually pretty good at treating that now. Um, but uh, osteoarthritis is in a different place where so many people have the problem that there's not really a great group of doctors that really are good at taking care of it. I mean, part of the reason is because of what I mentioned before, which is that there actually is not a lot of treatments that are available for osteoarthritis, um, notwithstanding doing some exercise, weight loss, um, and then physical therapy if you're already having symptoms, and then ultimately a joint replacement. And so, you know, many providers don't feel like they participate that much in um, managing the condition. And, and you know, sadly, um, a lot of patients actually feel like they can't talk to their doctor about this problem because, you know, oftentimes when you go to your primary care doctor, you're often faced with more pressing issues. Like if you have chest pain, right? So that's going to supersede, hey, I have pain in my um, knee, right? And so um, it kind of gets pushed to the wayside very often, almost in every arena. <laughs> and so, it's, it's in a sort of strange space where it's very common, it causes a lot of disability, but it's not managed very well. Um, so, so I don't know if that, so, was that a good enough overview? <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to dig into a couple of, a couple of questions there. Uh, the first of which is you and I exchanged some emails in advance of our conversation today, and I loved that you kind of pushed back on this phrase. So I referred in my email to osteoarthritis as what I've seen it referred to, which is wear and tear arthritis. And you right. said a, a lot of researchers uh, and physicians don't really embrace that uh, sort of uh, that word or that um, phrase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why is that? Because your answer to why that is, of course, thrilled me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, I, the reason why that's out there is because there is a lot of the lay and medical community who don't really understand what osteoarthritis is, and they're making some observations which are correct, which is that this tends to occur in people as they get older, um, and it happens to a lot of people, and so people just assume that everybody's going to end up having this problem, but that actually is not true. So while age is a risk factor for osteoarthritis, not everyone gets it. There are these sort of magical, you know, what we call octogenarians who are, you know, in their 80s and they like have no problems. They have no arthritis and they never will get it. <laughs> and if we could figure out what's so magical about those people and that protects them, uh, that would be great. But th there is, um, uh, no ubiquitous um, expectation that everyone will get osteoarthritis. And so it's not like a, 
you know, wearing a pair of jeans. And then if you wear the same pair of jeans, like, you know, for two years, <laughs> you'll have to get a new pair. It's not like that. There's no expectation that that's true. Um, and in fact, you know, our findings um, from the study that we're going to talk about um, suggesting that walking is actually beneficial actually really goes against that idea, right? So, I mean, the more that people exercise and use their joints, um, people actually generally do better. And um, while we're going to be talking about walking primarily, um, there are other studies that we've done that look at other forms of exercise that also seem to really support the idea that, you know, most exercises, generally speaking, are pretty um, beneficial for um, uh, osteoarthritis. And, and that's kind of the, the key that I zeroed in on is this idea that you, your joints don't get worse by using them more. Exactly. <laughs> right? yeah. like we're, we're not protecting our joints by doing less. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so actually I want to um, take this opportunity to also um, maybe uh, debunk some ideas that I think people think of the joints um, as being, you know, where two bones meet and just the cartilage, but that's not what it is. So a joint is the cartilage, it's the um, lining of the, uh, of the joint, it's the muscles around it, it's the, like in the knee we have menisci, those, those special pieces of cartilage that help to allow movement to occur. Um, there are ligaments that help to stabilize the joint. Um, so it, it's, it's the whole thing. It's not just the place where the two bones meet and that there's cartilage on the bones. You know? So it's really important to understand that. And if you understand that, then that makes sense why exercise is beneficial. So when you don't use your joints, all the muscles like waste away and the ligaments get kind of wimpy and <laughs> people get terrible. So, you know, it really turns out that the, um, the more you use it, the, the better off you are as far as, you know, sort of keeping that joint healthy. And that's, that I guess is why people in your field and your profession push back a little bit against that wear and tear concept because as, when people hear that, they think, oh, I better not use it so much. I don't want to, I don't want to put additional wear and tear on my joints. Right. And I'll, I'll clarify this a little bit that, um, you know, it's most researchers in osteoarthritis who really push back on the term. Unfortunately, there's actually a lot of sort of misinformation, even among the, amongst the medical community about what osteoarthritis is. I have heard other doctors actually say, oh, this is the weird kind. This is not the bad kind. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, um, but I think that it's um, for lack of um, a better understanding of what the condition is. And, you know, I, it's kind of what I was mentioning that the Osteoarthritis is in this kind of weird space where um, no real area really wants to adopt this condition, even amongst rheumatologists. So I, I'm an osteoarthritis researcher, um, but if you go to a rheumatologist, most of them, I mean, I, maybe that is not fair, but many of them are not really keen on taking care of people who have osteoarthritis because what they're used to mostly is um, prescribing medications. And there's the only medications that are beneficial in osteoarthritis are really ones that just manage symptoms. So that includes um, non-steroid non medications like ibuprofen, Advil, um, you know, Naproxen, Ali, that, that kind of category, or Tylenol. And, you know, um, 
a lot of people have the perspective that, oh, you know, you, they can kind of manage that on their own. I mean, uh, all those medications are kind of available over the counter anyway, you know, and then generally by the time they like get to a doctor and they feel like patients get to a doctor and then they feel like they actually have an opportunity to talk about it. A lot of times the provider who um, is seeing the patient, they oftentimes don't really know what to do, and they oftentimes just refer to orthopedics. And then, you know, um, many orthopedic surgeons, and I'm not going to say this is necessarily true um, all the time, but, uh, you know, they're, they're surgeons. They operate, right? So generally speaking, when people show up to their doorstep, what are they going to ask for? They're going to ask for a knee replacement <laughs> or, you know, whatever joint it is that's bothering them. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it is a problem. And, you know, there's actually um, a large group of people in the um, osteoarthritis research community who are trying to address this issue, trying to find like a home for where uh, osteoarthritis can be managed, but we haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> but, really but there's interesting. Lot, yeah, there's actually a lot of um, efforts to allow um, people to kind of self-manage. Um, and, you know, with the advent of the internet and you know, all these um, resources that are available through apps and through, you know, websites and blogs and all that sort of thing, um, much like yours, <laughs> people are finding or they're trying to see if that will be a good way to um, offer some care for, for these people who have osteoarthritis because there's so many people who have, you know, um, this condition. And as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, osteoarthritis kind of can range from, oh, that feels a little achy to really dramatically impacting your quality of life and kind of everywhere on that spectrum. Is that, do I have that right? You do. That's absolutely right. And uh, that's also part of the um, conundrum with managing the, the condition. Um, so, uh, you know, not, no two people are created the same and no two people have the same symptoms. Um, but but yeah, you can actually go from having like hardly any symptoms to yeah, basically every step you take is like incredibly painful. Um, so there's a very so big let's question. let's get if we can into the research that brought us together, which is research that you and a team did around the relationship between walking and osteoarthritis symptoms and the development of, do you call it a disease, a disorder? Actually, how do you even refer to it? It is a disease. It is. Mm -hmm. So, so um, it's a disease that, that 30% of us walk around with. So that's great. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, the 30% over the age of 60. Um, so, you know, it is definitely a disease that has a predilection um, for older people and it does increase as we age, but um but, but anyway, um, it, it certainly is a disease. Um, so the, the study that we did was we um, looked at people within this cohort called the Osteoarthritis Initiative. So this is a group of people who um, have been recruited in order for us to understand osteoarthritis better. Um, and uh, there's around uh, 5,000 people who were included in the study. But in this um, cohort, we specifically wanted to identify people who had radiographic evidence of osteoarthritis at their initial visit because we wanted to make sure that they actually had osteoarthritis. But um, we looked at several things. We looked at um, if 
when they started the study, they didn't have knee pain regularly. If by the end of four years, they did, then did have uh, frequent knee pain or vice versa. They started out with frequent knee pain and then we wanted to see if they had resolution of their frequent knee pain. Um, and then these people also had regular x-rays done at their baseline visit and then also at their four-year follow-up visit. And what we wanted to right, see great. is... Wait, great. Um, Grace, let me just yeah. stop you for one second oh, for a okay. couple of points of clarification. So uh, just to make it clear, you can see evidence of osteoarthritis via an x-ray. Is that right? Is that the most, uh, is that the simplest way to identify it? You know, that's actually not a simple question. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very good question. Um, so um, there are lots of ways to define osteoarthritis, but I would say that in order to standardize the definition best, uh, a radiograph is the least expensive way to do it. And actually, it's funny. Um, with the advent of MRI technology, everybody wants an MRI. If you have a problem with your knee, or you know whatever joint it is, everybody wants to skip the X-ray and they would go right to the MRI. <laughs> and so, um, the problem with the MRI is, is that it gives so much detail. It's hard to know where the cutoff is of who has osteoarthritis and who does not. On a radiograph, it's very clear. Like, okay, this person has this um, osteophyte, which is a bone spur. Basically, it's basically extra bone that's grown in a particular location that is very clearly identified on the X-ray. And so. There's common understanding that if you see that on the x-ray, they have osteoarthritis, like everybody would agree on that. On an MRI, I mean, I'll tell you all bets are off. Like people <laughs> have very long arguments over who has osteoarthritis or not. So looking on the x-ray is a pretty um, uh, kind of a sure-footed way of uh, getting common and broad agreement on, on uh, who actually has disease or not. Okay, so you, you started this study with a cohort of individuals who you were able to clearly identify this, these indicators of osteoarthritis. So you kind of knew what you were working with. Okay, and then the study right. went, uh, spanned four years, which is pretty long. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, this is a, a really huge endeavor that um, was funded by the NIH and by some pharma partners who um, really were interested in uh, really understanding more about the disease. And um, it's actually a publicly available data set. So um, it was really meant to encourage anybody who has an interest in doing any kind of osteoarthritis research to be able to access this data, this very rich data set where um, questionnaires and physical exam and x-rays and MRIs were obtained in a very systematic manner. So the idea was to not keep reinventing the wheel. So there are a lot of these um, investigators who all had similar questions, but then they all were sort of proposing to create their own cohort of patients. And the NIH was like, well, wait, wait, wait. Like, what if we just pull everything together and get like a giant data set and then um, really try and uh, pull those resources so that we could um, look at things in a um, uh, you know, in a more collaborative way and where we could have larger numbers in a given data set. So one of the things that loves me, love, that I love about how this all played out is uh, it was, the study was in part supported by pharmaceutical companies and a big part of your, and you'll talk a little bit about your findings, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, one of my takeaways from the study was, yeah, 
drugs are not the be-all and end-all. There are other ways we can do this. I'm sure that the investors in this study were like, it's not exactly what we were hoping for. (laughs) Well, you know, um, what they were looking for mostly is uh, what's called a biomarker for um, osteoarthritis uh, so that they could look for the drugs that would be beneficial. So, I mean, I, I don't know that they were unhappy with participating in the study, but <laughs> I think everybody's happy to um, find something that um, is beneficial. But I do think that part of what is exciting about our findings is that um, the intervention of walking for exercise is uh, readily available. It doesn't cost anything, and um, there are very few barriers to actually participating in it. So, um, so I think that that's really great. Um, and, um, you know, so within osteoarthritis, uh, there has been this uh, term, which we call a D-mode, disease-modifying osteoarthritis drug. So the idea is that we're looking for something that can prevent structural damage to the joint, but also improve people's symptoms and their function. And it's so been, you want you want people want to feel better, and you want to uh, retard the progression of the disease. I mean, that seems that's to make a right. whole lot like of we, sense, we, right? That's right. We want the, the the integrity of the joint to be better, right? And so we want both. And <laughs> for many years, we've just been um, unsuccessful at finding something that does both. Like we'll find a medication that makes the cartilage a little bit thicker, but it doesn't make people feel better. Or we'll find something that makes people feel better, but it just sores the joints. And so <laughs> it's been a very uh, tough road. And so what's so nice about what we found in our study is that um, it really looks like walking can provide both. It can provide some structural benefit as well as um, uh, symptom improvement. And, and so one of the really uh, key things is that the group of people who had radiographic evidence of osteoarthritis at the beginning, but did not say that they had regular knee pain, those are the people who really seem to benefit the most. Those are the people who had um, a lower percentage of those people who actually went on to saying that they had frequent knee pain at the end of four years um, compared to those who didn't walk. And so this is really exciting, right? It really sort of says, hey, there is something that we can do to prevent things from getting worse. And Right now, as it stands, there's not a common understanding that we need to screen people for radiographic evidence of osteoarthritis, but, and no one's actually um, decided that yet, <laughs> but I feel mm-hmm. like the findings from the study really could support that kind of idea and that maybe we should investigate whether or not that's a good strategy because um, there's been this idea that part of the reason why maybe we've been unsuccessful at finding treatments that have been beneficial for osteoarthritis is that we're looking too far down the road of the natural history of the disease. Like people are too sick with the osteoarthritis already, like their cartilage is all worn down and they, you know, have like the giant osteophytes, they have big, like, like large amounts of fluid in their knee and, you know, it, they're kind of, down that path of they're going to have to get a knee replacement to feel better, and there's not much else that we can do. But if we catch them early, you know, when we just see the beginnings of radiographic evidence of osteoarthritis, and we know that they're going to be at risk for progression down the road, but they don't have frequent knee pain symptoms yet, if we can catch them then and we say, hey, you need to start walking, and you need to do it now, <laughs> then I think that that would be so um, important for us to be able to, um, you know, share that message. and 
help to prevent people from having regular um, knee symptoms. Um, so, you know, we found on the order of like a 12% difference in the group of people who uh, walked versus the group of people who didn't walk um, as far as the percentage of people who went on to develop frequent knee pain. Um, and it really worked more in the direction of you didn't have knee pain at the beginning and then you did at the end. That was the direction where we actually saw the most benefit. Like we could prevent people from developing frequent knee pain. But once you had it at the beginning, I really thought that people who had frequent knee pain um, at their baseline visit would have more resolution of their frequent knee pain um, over the four-year period if they walked. But it actually just looked the same. It didn't look worse, but it didn't look better. <laughs> and yeah. to me, that says, you know, we can't wait until people say, I have pain every day. Um, you know, the walking is not going to really help their knees um, so much at that point. Although, you know, there are all these physical activity guidelines that are um, in place, not primarily for the joints, but for other reasons, right? Like all, all cause mortality for um, cardiovascular disease, for diabetes, for obesity, for cancer prevention. So, I mean, so the upside to that is that, okay, if you have frequent knee pain and you have osteoarthritis, if you walk, it doesn't put you in a worse position than if you didn't walk. So you should do it even for those other reasons, right? So, I mean, it's not exactly what I was hoping it would, would show, but I think it's, you know, you can look at it glass half full or glass half empty. And I think the glass half full way to look at it is that it certainly didn't hurt anything. And if you can still walk and um, get all those other benefits, you should, you know, definitely still do that. So, uh, gosh, I have so many questions bouncing around uh, my, <laughs> my brain. But just going back to this idea, I've got two thoughts around this idea of kind of, a regular walking practice is helping prevent the progression of osteoarthritis. Mm -hmm. I don't. I would argue that we don't even need to necessarily get people's baseline because everybody should. And of course, this is me through my lens, right? Everybody <laughs> should be walking because of all of those other benefits you identified. So, your research, which shows that that's not going to make your arthritis worse. We should be doing it all the time from the beginning. And then the flip side of that, to your point of what if we got more proactive in identi identif identifying people who are going down that path earlier because this is a really good protocol, it, it of course brings to mind pretty much every other disease where we have learned over the last many decades, the earlier you catch it, the better you are at managing it. It's not like that's a new concept, you know. <laughs> that's true, but you know, um, you know, I, I feel like a broken record a little bit. But you know, osteoarthritis has been in this very weird space where, you know, people just didn't know what to do when they would get an X-ray. You know, they oh look, there's there's that bad like joint space narrowing, and you have, you know, that bone spur there. Hmm, let's just look at it. Like, huh? Well, when it gets really bad, come back and let me know, and I'll send you to the orthopedic, you know, surgeon or whatever. Like, so, but like the idea that now there's something that we can actually offer to people, I think is um, really exciting. And the other thing that I think is very exciting is it was something that you alluded to a little bit before, which is that there's been all this emphasis and focus on finding some pharmaceutical treatment for osteoarthritis to to be this, you know, quote, demode. And really, I think that 
osteoarthritis is not like rheumatoid arthritis that is primarily driven by a systemic inflammatory problem. It's driven by uh, biomechanical um, stress. And, you know, I think that because it's a different kind of disease, we have to really think in those terms that we Mm -hmm. can't just try and translate what we did from one disease and just move it right on to the next disease. It just doesn't work that way. And I think that the study really highlights that idea that um, we can't just focus on pharmaceuticals. We have to look at the biomechanics and um, exercise is just a wonderful way for us to, you know, sort of uh, roll that out. Yeah, they seem to me, again, totally from layman's terms or layman's perspective, completely different diseases. Right. My, yeah, they, uh, my dad uh, suffers from gout from time to time, which I was surprised to discover kind of falls within one of these arthritis buckets because it's just a completely different, maybe it's a similar symptom, but driven by a totally different biological mechanism. That's, that's true. So, that, so gout does fall into the overarching umbrella of arthritis. But it is a completely different kind of arthritis to rheumatoid arthritis to osteoarthritis, um, but but it is a different kind of arthritis. But like yeah, putting them all in that uh, that arthritis bucket, I think, kind of uh, is confusing. It's a little bit confusing. It is confusing. Though that's what makes um, rheumatology. That's what gives me a job. <laughs> Sorting all that out for us ordinary folk. Well, yeah, um, so. Yes, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go I was ahead. just saying, it's, it's too hard to ask for patients to self-diagnose. I mean, that's what our job is as a rheumatologist, is to help sort that out, to help people understand which kind of arthritis they have. So um, although it is uh, confusing for there to be so many things in the same bucket, that's, that's the role of the rheumatologist. So um, that's what I'm saying. So I, that actually raises a really interesting question and we're out of time, but I can't help it. I really want to ask. So (laughs) I I think for many people, and I don't know for sure, but my assumption is that for many people who are having some issues with their joints, some discomfort, some pain, they, their first course of action, of course, is to go to their primary care physician, because that's what we do. At what point should we be thinking I should find a rheumatologist to sort this out or to help me sort this out? That's a good question. <clears throat> I wish I had a good answer for it, but I don't really have one. I would say this: when people are uncomfortable and they're not happy with how things are going, that's the time to go. But like, it's not going to be the same for any two people. And uh, sadly, the, the issue that I raised before still exists, which is that um, patients don't feel like that they can necessarily talk to their providers about um, their arthritis. And then many providers, particularly primary care providers, uh, they don't feel comfortable talking about um, arthritis. And they're oftentimes expected to cover um, these sort of areas. So there's actually a fair body of research that uh, indicates this to be true. And I wish I could tell you that there are all these like ways of addressing this uh, deficiency, but unfortunately we're kind of going the wrong way for that. Um, More and more expectations are being placed on the primary care provider. And to be honest, um, when I first was doing my training for becoming a physician, I thought I would be a primary care doctor. And then 
I was overwhelmed when I was starting to learn how to be a primary care doctor. Because <laughs> you're supposed to know you're, everything, right? You, yeah, yeah. You're supposed to know everything, follow up on everything. Anything that's abnormal, you got to follow up on it. And it's such a big task. I, I have the most respect for primary care doctors. I think it's such a tough job. Um, and I, I, it's, I couldn't do it. <laughs> and that's why I'm a rheumatologist because I, I like being able to know a lot about one thing. That's, that's just the way that I work. I'm better in, in that kind of context. And so, um, so, so I am glad that there are lots of primary care doctors out there and I uh, really do appreciate um the work that they do, but I, I don't know how I would never be able to do that. <laughs> so I, I, I would, I would say then that the answer to this is that if you are having uh, joint pain, joint discomfort, and your primary care physician doesn't seem to uh, be to have answers for you, keep looking because there are people who specialize in just yes. this. And those are yes. the people who at least, they may not have an easy answer for you, but yes. those are likely to be the doctors who are most knowledgeable on what is most current. And one of the things that is most current is your study, which I'll end with, or I'll, I'll invite you actually to end with a takeaway along the lines of like, more walking is probably good for you and not likely to hurt you as far as that issue goes. Agree. <laughs> Gosh, Grace, I have so many more questions for you. I want, but I'm gonna. I have one last one. Um, sure. Your study focused, I believe, on osteoarthritis of the knees. And yes. now, as I understand it, it can arise in any joint of the body. Why did you choose to focus on the knees? So the osteoarthritis initiative, uh, which is a cohort that we um, looked at this question in, was designed to really hone in on the knee because so much. So. Although osteoarthritis can occur in any joint, the most common joints that it occurs in are the knee, the hip, the small joints of the feet, like, you know, when people have bunions and that sort of thing, and then also in the hands, like, so at the bottom of the thumb and then at the top parts of the fingers. So those are the most common places that people have um, osteoarthritis. And the natural history of uh, knee osteoarthritis is relatively long. So the idea behind um, working on this joint first was that uh, we had an opportunity to follow people over several years and then it's not like they would go straight to a joint replacement um, right away, right? So we would have an opportunity mm. to see how people do over time. And so it was really sort of an effort to start with at least one joint and try and really do a good job of really understanding that particular joint. And so within the osteoarthritis initiative, that is the joint that is the most closely studied, but there are lots of problems with people who have hip osteoarthritis and osteoarthritis in their feet and in their hands. And so um, there's so much to get to. <laughs> so um, There's too much work out there for us to do. Um, so, you know, we, we can answer what we can look at, you know, so um, I can't really speak to, um, you know, what the impact of uh, walking is on any of those other joints, because uh, really the focus of, um, this time frame that we were able to look at was was the knee. 
thank you so much, not just for your time today, but as an avid walker who is well into her 50s, I appreciate the work that you and your team and your colleagues are doing on a personal level. So thank you for that, and thank you for your time today. Oh, well, you're welcome, and thanks so much for having me. I really uh, enjoyed it. Uh, maybe we'll do it again one day. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week in the 99 Walks app and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.